0: podcast from impact 89 FM WDBM East
1: Lansing
2: welcome to impact exposure exposure is 88.9 the impacts one-hour forum discussing relevant issues affecting the MSU community and now tonight's exposure.
3: This is The Impact Exposure. My name is Wes. I'd like to thank you for joining us yet again. We've got a great show lined up for you today. In a little while, we'll be talking with some folks from MSU's uh, art department, as well as the art history department, uh, along with some folks from the Lansing City Players and uh, the Lansing Symphony Orchestra, quite an art-related show uh, lined up for you a little bit later on. Before we get to any of that, however, we are speaking with uh, Clay and Charles, uh, here to talk about Software Freedom Day. I want to thank you, gents, for joining us.
1: Thank you for having us here.
3: So uh, first of all, uh, tell us about uh, what Software Freedom Day is all about.
1: Well, Software Freedom Day is an event that's been going on for a couple of years anyway, and Charles you probably know that more than I do. Um. The well Software Freedom Day is basically a um
4: it's a day where all of the Linux user groups around the world get together and they try to make a case to the public of why open source software is um well, why it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um We make presentations um, and try to explain why we believe open source software is good for um, use in the home or in the business, Um, uh, why the quality is generally better than what you might find in a lot of commercial
1: um, software and operating systems.
3: So now for for folks that aren't familiar, what exactly is open source software?
1: Uh, This is Clay speaking. Uh, Open source software uh, and free software, which is free as in speech, not Uh, not as in no cost, uh, although that applies as well, is software that the source code is available, which is sort of the raw component that you need to make the software. And so long as that source code is available to you, either you or somebody that you can find can make that software work the way you want. So if it's got problems, you can fix it. If you need it to do more than it already does, you can make it do that.
3: So now, what, what are the advantages of that?
1: Uh, the advantages, especially for like a business, are really big because anybody who's ever had to buy software knows that nothing does exactly what you want. Mm-hmm.
3: And it doesn't come at a, a cheap price either. Right.
1: You, you spend a lot of money, and uh, it doesn't do what you want, and you have to adjust your business to match it. Whereas if you can change that software, uh, you don't have to work around the software. You can make the software work around you. Uh, so that means if you need it to be more reliable in some fashion, you can do that. Uh, if you need it to, say, handle a new way of communicating with your customers, you can build that into it.
3: So would you say customizability is sort of the, the, the biggest draw for, for businesses to use open-source software?
1: Definitely. That's, at least from my perspective, that's the biggest the biggest reason to use it. I see. Now,
3: uh, as far as businesses using it, um, I, I'd have to assume, that I mean, You know, someone who's a business owner seeing this this the software that doesn't come with a big brand name stamped on it. I mean, wouldn't that be a bit uh, something to to be concerned about, or or something to be? I don't don't want to say wary. I don't want to you know put it down, but isn't that something to be concerned about?
1: Uh, You know, it's something as a business owner they do need to take into consideration because if they wind up needing a lot of support, uh, in a lot of cases, open source software does have really great support communities and there are companies you can contract with. For support, Mm -hmm. so there would be an 800 number you could call if you had a problem, Uh, but there isn't always, and you need to take that into account. Mm -hmm. So anybody looking to use open source software, free software in their business, uh, needs to be aware of that. Uh, Can I get support for the software if I need it? Will I need support, or is Mm -hmm. it so simple that you know that's not going to be the case?
3: So is there is there more of a time and labor? Uh, Is is, is time and labor more intensive when it comes to using open-source software in in business?
1: I haven't actually found that to be the case. Really? Okay. Uh, There's the threat of it, that it'll be more intensive. Uh, And there have definitely been cases that I've run into where it is, but usually it's less uh, time and labor intensive. I see. Uh, For the really popular packages that get a lot of use, Mm -hmm. uh, things like Apache, which is a web server, or Postgres, which is a database server, uh, they're much less trouble. They take much less of my time than their commercial equivalents, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't mean to run down their commercial equivalents. The, uh, there are several very good commercial packages that fill those same roles that are really great tools, but I've also found that these free tools really work better mm-hmm. for keeping my labor costs down.
3: Sure. Now I was I was looking this up uh, today, as a matter of fact. Uh, Linux, of course, the uh, probably the best known. Pieces of open source software. Uh, you know some of the some of the companies that that use it. Uh, Lowe's, Daimler Chrysler, uh, Sony uses it. Even the uh, the U.S. Post Office, when it comes to scanning your packages, is all using Linux. So, uh, is, is this something that's catching on with with bigger businesses? Would you say?
1: Uh, it's definitely catching on. I would say in a lot of ways it's caught on. Okay. Um, you know, a couple. Uh, did you? I don't remember. Did you list Daimler Chrysler in there? I did. Yeah. Oh, you did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, they're they were major early adopter. Most of their back-end operation hmm. seems to be on linux uh but uh general motors uh is also using a lot of uh, linux and free software uh, i was introduced to postgres that database that i mentioned uh, by somebody who was using it for major projects for general motors wow so you know that was when i heard that as well i don't have to be afraid of it now If <laughs> gm can trust their operation to it you know i guess i can't yeah too. they've
3: got a lot more riding on it i suppose yeah than, uh, your average uh, user um, so now on on the other end of things what would you say is sort of the advantage for the person who's creating this software because i i have to assume that a programmer who works for for Microsoft or some other major software corporation they're getting paid you know a pretty penny for it but creating so- software that's no cost i mean what what is the advantage for them
1: um i i'm a programmer professionally mm-hmm. uh, and i write closed source software you know i don't give away my source code mm-hmm. or i don't always i do at times um the advantage for me when I have released open-source software uh, is that people that aren't me find bugs, and sometimes they'll even fix them for me, uh, which is really great. Mm-hmm. And whenever I'm releasing a piece of software uh, as open-source, it's because I wrote it because I found it useful and it solved a problem for me, and I'm assuming it's going to do it for somebody else. Uh, that will save them trouble down the road. Uh, also, by releasing an open-source it gives it a little bit more life. Um, the software is just a little bit more available, and so that when I want, it, when I'm five years down the road, and I'm thinking, "Gee, I solved that problem already," I really need to do something about like that again. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just a little bit better chance that it's I'm still going to have it. It's still going to be maintained uh, in a usable state, and I'm going to be able to use it.
3: Now, uh, I've I've sort of. Uh Experiment. I, I don't want to say experiment. It sounds kind of shaky, but I, I've definitely looked into different open source uh, pieces of software over the years, and and really been surprised at at the level of of quality that that there are. I mean, uh, competitors to to Microsoft Office like uh, was I, I believe OpenOffice is one of them. Uh, very, programs like that. I mean, yes. Uh, so where where can average folks start looking for for open software or open source software? Excuse me.
1: Uh, well, the internet's the obvious answer, mm-hmm. but I think for somebody who's not familiar with it, uh, their best bet is to go to an event like Software Freedom Day, uh, which we're holding this Saturday on the 15th from 1 to 5 at Davenport University uh, in Room 100. Um, some That's a good place for somebody who doesn't know uh, much about it, they've heard about it and want to learn more, uh, to go and find out about it. Because there's going to be uh, several people there I don't remember what our last count was, but uh, at least Charles and I will be there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're using open source software, free software. And you talk with those people, and they can you know, tell them, what do you want to do? Uh, you know, I want to edit movies, or I want to make my own podcast, or I want to set up a website. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's bound to be somebody there who's done it before. They'll say, okay, these tools really work for me. Here's how I used them. Uh, you know, just sort of to establish yourself with the community, get out there and meet people that are also doing it. Because it's new. You're going to mm. need help.
3: Certainly. So now is it uh, sort of a and a you've got going on? Is it a, a lecture? How, how have you things got set up on Software Freedom Day?
1: Uh, we're going to do a little bit of both. Uh, there are four short presentations. It's not going to be, you know, sit down and watch our PowerPoint slide. Mm. It's going to be more like, uh, okay, Here's a, here's three cool tools, or however many cool tools we happen to be able to fit in ten minutes, mm-hmm. uh, that solve these problems for us. You know, like, here's this great office suite I found, or uh, here's this neat graphics editing software that my daughter used to do all her art. Um, that's the sort of thing that we're going to show. It's going to be nice and nice and fast. And then there's going to be people that you can talk to. We'll have our computer set up running this software. Uh, you know, you go talk to them, you find out who's doing the sort of things that you're interested in doing, and uh, sort of get introduced to that open source community.
3: So are you tailoring this more toward just average folks or, or businesses or, or education? What's wh- Who's your target in this?
1: Uh, we haven't targeted a specific group. Okay. Um, definitely all of us are using it for home use. Quite a few of us use it professionally, too. Uh, I know that Charles does, yes. uh, as I do. Um, so, you know, people people who are uh, business owners or decision makers of businesses. There's definitely going to be a lot there for them. Um, I would like to say they're going to take more away from it than the home user, mm-hmm. because there's more cost savings available for them. Uh, they will. It, all, of course, will depend on what their own needs are that they bring there. Sure. Yeah.
3: As, as you know folks who, who obviously use open source software uh, I would assume a lot uh, what what are some of the the better programs you could recommend to people who are listening
4: well one of the most popular programs uh, is Firefox mm-hmm. um, it just uh, it provides a better web browsing experience than some of the alternative or some of the other browsers um, Linux is of course a um, a big one it it's a complete operating system basically um, built from um, several distributions um, that that you can choose from. Um, there are email clients. Um, in fact most people are using open source software all the time and don't even realize it. Um, the internet itself is basically held together by open source. Um, all of the back-end um, programs and uh, software that Pretty much run the internet like web servers and domain name servers and all that uh, high tech stuff uh, it's it almost always uh, runs on software with an open source license
3: hmm. so now is it is this a threat to to big software companies
1: uh, i would I would like to say that it is definitely not um, sometimes the open source software movements pitched as a battle between Microsoft and all the open source world. Microsoft is actually a very large user of open-source software. How, how so? Um, the, the underlying part of their operating system that gets on the Internet uh, or that just works on the Office network is based on open-source software. Hmm. And Microsoft never, ever tried to hide this. Uh, they've been very open about that fact that this is, uh, this is from this open-source software. Uh, and this is sort of the same software that most uh, network, uh, networking software is based on. Uh, They're very popular. Internet browser Internet Explorer was originally based on an open source product. Uh, they took it, they modified it. It looks nothing like that original product now. Uh, thankfully, <laughs> uh, the original product was revolutionary in its day, and if you saw it now, you would be mortified.
3: Oh wow, pretty uh, rough, huh? Yeah,
1: but uh, you know, they took that. Uh, they took that same open source philosophy of well, let's extend this existing piece. Uh, and they made a really great browser, and I know I'm going to get crucified for saying this. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> There'll be if, people uh, waiting for me when I'm I sure get. I'm sure Firefox
3: to- loyalists will uh, not, not
1: enjoy hearing that. But uh. <laughs> Firefox is actually based off the same core. Right. Oh, really? Yes.
3: Oh, okay. Because I thought uh, now it's it's based off of the old Netscape in some way, right?
1: Or- uh, yes, which was originally based off of Mosaic.
3: Oh, I see, and that's where they're both. Yep, yeah, they from. both oh, come from that core wow. mosaic. Wow. Now that that just reminded me of something else too. Uh, th- there are uh, uh, licenses for open source software. Is that right? That's correct. So, w- how does the legality of that work? You said that Microsoft basically, I, I guess, borrowed open source code and then made a new product and then, not uh, necessarily sold it. It came with Windows, but h- how does that? How does that work?
1: Uh, that's a large religious debate. They could fill a couple hours of airtime, <laughs> but we'll, we'll avoid that religious debate <laughs> here. Uh, some of the licenses out there uh, are perfectly agreeable to that. In fact, we're always designed around that idea that somebody would take this software and make a commercial idea out of it. You know, somebody had the idea for the software and said, this is useful for me. Maybe somebody smarter than me can figure out how to make a buck off of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then hopefully they can capitalize on it later, too. Uh, and the people who invented that core networking code, they've done all right for themselves. Uh, uh, there, you might recognize names like ThreeCom or Sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, people that founded those companies were involved with a lot of that core work. So you know they did our, they did all right off releasing that free software.
3: I should say so. Uh, but they,
1: the license that they released it under definitely allows for reuse uh, and selling it uh, in exactly the ways that Microsoft has done, that Sun has done.
3: So it's not this uh, you know altruistic versus capitalistic uh, clash, then.
1: Uh, You'll find, you'll find that out there, and that's the religious okay. part of the debate. <laughs> uh, there are other licenses that say, you know, if you use this software, then everything you used it in, you have to give it away, too. I see. Uh, Microsoft obviously didn't, they didn't use that code.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, now, uh, so we're, we're talking with uh, Clay and Charles from Software Freedom Day about uh, open source software, all the benefits that it has. Uh, any, anything you'd care to add about the, uh, the event that you've got coming up?
4: Well, uh, one thing we didn't mention is that this uh, particular event is more or less sponsored by the Greater uh, Lansing Linux User Group. Um, we're a group of open source... That's um, the word I'm looking for. The aficionados. Phase. Sure. Um, and we meet weekly um, to discuss whatever happens to be on our mind. Um, uh, the website for our group is uh, glug.org, G L L U G.
3: Now uh, Ian, our uh, production director, just stepped in uh, wanted to throw a quick question in there what do you got well um I, I'm uh, like I said, I'm here at the radio station. I'm primarily a Mac user. I'm on actually on the greater Lansing Linux users group mailing list and I mean so I, I do I'll use a little bit of both. Is Software Freedom Day primarily about some say Linux and the operating system as a whole, or is it about open software in general? Including on non-open platforms like Windows or Mac OS, which is my primary platform.
1: Uh, it's definitely for anybody. These, you know, these free and open-source packages are out there for all kinds of people. Uh, I will. The machine I'll be bringing to show off my open-source software that I'm using is a Windows machine. Uh, the Macintosh is a great example of open-source software, by the way. Uh, that's the core operating system is based on FreeBSD. Uh, which is another piece of free software. It's a full operating system. Uh, You'd replace whatever operating system, like uh, Mac OS X or Windows, you could use it to replace what's on your computer, uh, and you would get a very powerful computer designed for very certain purposes. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, so it's... Open source software has worked out very well for Apple. Absolutely. Wow, it seems,
3: sounds like it's benefiting a lot of folks. Yes. All right, well, uh, gents, I want to thank you for, for stopping by, telling us a bit about uh, Software Freedom Day again. That's uh, September 15th over at uh, Davenport University here in Lansing uh, from 1 p.m. until 5 p.m., room 100 and 101. Uh, more info can be found at by calling 810 869 4390 or checking out the uh, website we just mentioned, org. Again, Clay and Charles, uh, thanks all for coming in, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we'll be right back with uh, some folks from the art and art history departments here at MSU. So stay tuned to that.
5: You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. At
4: the football game, Jim shows the telltale signs of being wasted. He starts flexing for the camera. He refers to his muscles as gunboats. He screams, how's this for a halftime show? Jim streaks the field. It's easy to tell if you've had way too many to drive. But what if you've had just one too many to drive? Never underestimate just a few. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, the Ad Council, and this station.
2: For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to The Impact Primetime, Primetime. where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week.
4: Sunday nights, check out Sit or Spin from 8 to 10 p.m., where you can voice your opinion on what new music we play here on The Impact.
3: Only on Impact Primetime. You're
0: listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432 3893 And now... Back to exposure.
3: All right, we are back. This is Impact Exposure. My name is Wes. We we're just speaking with some folks from the Software Freedom Day going on uh, this uh, September fifteenth uh, over at uh, Davenport University. Switching gears now, we're speaking with uh, some representatives from the Art and Art History departments here on uh, on campus at MSU. Uh, Kelly, Michelle, and Tom. Want to thank you all for uh, for joining us today.
6: Thanks for having us. Thank so
3: you. tell us what's uh, what's going on uh, with art and art history.
6: Well, there's a lot of new uh, developments in the Department of Art and Art History. Uh, We've celebrated our 75th year of existence last year, and in conjunction with the Year of Arts and Culture at at MSU this year, we've got a lot of events that are open to the public. Uh, The the biggest uh, series we're running uh, uh, this year is the Guest Lecture Series, which is uh, 15 visitors strong and sponsored by several colleges and departments. Uh, with the Department of Art and Art History taking the lead, and we've got a, a fabulous, truly internationally recognized uh, uh, list of artists and art historians and scholars and designers coming uh, pretty much uh, once every three weeks over the uh, until uh, through the end of uh, the school year.
3: Wow! So now who's who's coming up next?
6: Well, the the first visitor in our lecture uh, series is uh, Massimo uh, uh, Venelli, and uh, Kelly might be able to speak. Uh, to his uh, his work and his lifetime, uh, his passion. Uh, Kelly's our uh, designer. Uh, Kelly Salco on our faculty at uh, uh, Michigan State. We were pleased to bring her to the faculty here uh, last year. Kelly.
7: We're really excited to have Massimo Bignelli coming. Uh, he'll be here tomorrow evening, September 12th, at 7 p.m. in South Kedzie Hall. Um, and he really is a, a living legend in graphic design. He's actually touched on... A lot of design disciplines: graphic, uh, environmental, identity, industrial, architectural, interior, and so it's very exciting to. Wow! So he's have covering all going. of that when
3: he when he speaks. Mm-hmm. Now uh, I saw that he's he's uh, connected to the Helvetica. Uh, is that a, it's a documentary? Is that Hel- right? That's right. Helvetica. What, what is that all about?
7: It's a feature-length film celebrating the 50th anniversary of Helvetica, the typeface. Mm-hmm. Um And it features many of the the best designers that are practicing today, so Massimo appears in the film, and we 're happy to have that kind of in conjunction.
5: No,
3: I mean, I'm sure folks hearing a, a, a film about a font might might sound kind of funny, <laughs> but uh, and, and this might sort of out me as a a typeface enthusiast, but it is actually one of my favorite fonts. It's uh, beautiful. It is it's 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 ubiquitous too, you see it everywhere. Logos, you know, all sorts of corporate logos use it. I mean it's it's definitely one of those ones that's sort of a sort of hidden in plain sight, I think. Exactly. Uh, now but what, what exactly would would a film about a font cover?
7: I think well, I haven't seen it myself yet. Okay. It's it's being released across the world in strategic uh, venues, and, and we're lucky and to we're have one it. Of them. Wow. Yeah, excellent. Um, but as I understand it, it it does touch on the proliferation of um, visual communication in our culture, both how we are aware of it and how we're not.
3: Hmm, excellent. Well, now. Uh Is his lecture connected to the same topics covered by the film, or does he go beyond that?
7: He'll be talking um, about his very long career in graphic design and industrial and other forms of design. Um, He specifically will be following what is covered in his book, Design is One, Mm. talking about his and his wife's very long and prosperous careers in design.
3: Very cool. Now you mentioned you've got other uh, other folks coming in. Who's who, who's going to be following Massimo?
6: Well, we've got um, uh, many coming. Nick Cave is a uh, fashion designer and performance artist who's coming from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, is uh, where he's the head of that department, but is uh, internationally renowned in uh, in his field. Um, we've got other graphic designers as well. I think one of the uh, feature artist as we move uh, um, through the fall is uh, Diana Cooper, who combines drawing, painting, sculpture, and installation uh, in unorth- unorthodox but commonly available, available materials uh, using felt, foam core, felt. Uh, uh, Q-tips and an array of what one might think of as non-traditional art materials, kind of pushing the boundaries of art, and her work's been recognized uh, in, in work at uh, leading uh, galleries in New York. One of the great things is for students to have the opportunity to hear those who are extremely accomplished in their field uh, come into an educational environment and uh, you typically share their, uh, their journey mm-hmm. as an artist or a designer or scholar and how they uh, uh, went from A to Z. And uh, they typically share uh, the nature of the questions they pose in the studio environment. A lot of uh, folks think of art from the outside in, how it looks. But I think a lot of uh, importance is gained by understanding the nature of questions that led to those resolutions and sort of open up their thought process. So it's a really uh, kind of, even though some of these lecture series might draw two to 300 people or more, um, these individual lectures, it's a very intimate kind of experience in that they really, uh, the people we select, are known to be generous of spirit and opening up their uh, thought process, the creative process, with others. The other thing that's worthy of mentioning is, of course, these things are open to the public uh, for anyone uh, in, in the in the public or uh, on campus as a student. But they, the artists and designers, typically give a critique. It's sort of our version of American Idol that happens every day wow. in the Kresge Arts Center. They're not. Uh, typically aired publicly, but uh, in a studio environment where the artist or critic or scholar might uh, interact and give a critique to the students. So it's a really chance to, to shine and uh, for our best to shine and get feedback from the best in the world.
3: Absolutely. And I, one interesting thing that, that popped into my head, you mentioned about uh, Diana Cooper's work. I was looking up uh, Nick Cave, whom we mentioned a moment ago, and it sounds like something that they have in common is is this use of uh, sort of unorthodox uh, materials. Uh, in your opinion, what, what sort of is, is the advantage in using Things like you mentioned, like Q-tips and foam core mm-hmm. and things like that.
6: I think, I think one of the things that happens when an artist reach out, reaches outside the sort of normative palette of, uh, of, of materiality is that um, it, uh, uh, what they're using isn't so preloaded with meaning. And I think when one uh, reaches for those unconventional sources, uh, you can imbue it more with, with your own uh, identity. It's more of an open Slate mm-hmm. instead of a, a traditional media that might come loaded with uh, certain associations, certain artistic paths. I think there's also a kind of conscious attempt, often by artists who who work as see see themselves as kind of interventionist by by using uh, material um, that isn't traditionally associated with art, and that they um, see it as a way to uh, break down the boundary between uh, so-called high art and and uh, and, n- and normative life and allow that space to be more fluid mm-hmm. and that's, uh, it's not uh, a moment uh, that that thought to, uh, is not indigenous to our time uh, it's been a it's been a recurring theme especially throughout modernism in uh, for the last hundred years and so it's it's reared its head once again uh, <laughs> for for many of these lectures over the uh, next uh, uh, next year here in the Department of art and art history
3: well now you have these uh, this this lecture series going on uh, screening of, uh, of of a type of uh, typography documentary I suppose it's safe to say mm-hmm. uh, I was also reading that uh, faculty members in your department uh, have their own works being shown at scene uh, metro space is that uh, still going on? It is. now. Uh, are any of you involved with that? Yeah, I have you a couple okay, rock well, and
7: roll posters in that show. <laughs> really? What's
3: what's that all about?
7: <laughs> well, it, I think it's a great idea for a show in a gallery. Um, the call for entries went out just saying, any designer or artist who has created uh, posters for a rock and roll show, please submit your work. And um, the result is really a, a very nice collection of uh, different different output mm-hmm. processes, but also different creative processes that have been used
3: something that pops into my head when you when you talk about that is, is sort of like the, the concert flats the you know appearing at max bar at nine or you know for example is is that what you what, what you 've created
7: um, i I used a combination of hand processes and digital, and my final piece is actually a digital output but it's um, it uses cut paper and and uh, my a, a bit of self-portraiture, I guess. But some of the other work is is done with stencils and spray paint and screen printing, and you see rough paper as the 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 stock that's used.
3: It's a lot of different mediums going into that. Yeah. Wow. Now, uh, and what are some of the other exhibits that are going on at the the scene Metro Space from the, from the faculty?
7: That's the only one right now, oh, okay. and I'm not sure what the next. Show will
3: be now. Is it so you get some data? I was
6: going to say uh, the, the scene Metro Space is a is a uh, East Lansing run cooperative uh, gallery that there's a lot of association with some of the artists and faculty from uh, from MSU, but as well uh, in our building we have the, in the Kresge Art Center, where the Department of Art and Art History is housed, we have uh, Gallery 101 and 114 which uh, feature uh, um, some Master of Fine Arts uh, uh, students in, the, in this fall. And then in the spring, we have disciplinary shows, which feature students in a range of disciplines from design and ceramics, sculpture, printmaking, painting, and photography. Uh, in uh, in select shows uh, throughout the spring, um, the faculty uh, often show their work around around the world. But we do have a biennial exhibition in the art museum, and look forward to continuing that tradition with the new uh, in the new uh, Edith and Eli Brode. Uh, Art museum that's uh, slated to open in 2010.
3: Well, that was actually going to be my next question. What is the? Uh, we've been hearing a lot about this. What's the status of the up-and-coming museum?
6: Well, that is the uh, the museum is a is a wonderful moment for for the arts at uh, Michigan State University for the visual arts in particular. Uh, the museum is a is a separate entity from the department, but we've worked in collaboration and conjunction many times over the over the over the last. Uh, 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 30 years. And uh, the museum, uh, 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 Mr. and Mrs. Broad's uh, generosity is immense. And uh, while we know uh, the Broad name is, uh, is associated with the business school here uh, locally, the uh, the rest of the world uh, often knows uh, the Broad name is associated with uh, being uh, top collector of contemporary art in the world. Mm. So um, it's, a, uh, it's an amazing uh, uh, sort of uh, moment, and it will be a beacon, I think, for the arts, uh, truly across the nation, but uh, especially in the state of Michigan, I think it will uh, uh, be a highly visible sign of uh, the uh, importance of creativity, the importance of the arts in uh, the education of a 21st century uh, student.
3: Well, now, <clears throat> excuse me, in addition to um, the the events and, and lectures and everything that we've just spoken about, uh, you said you had some other uh, events that are coming up down the road, uh, sort of in the future for, for the art department. Uh, would you care to touch on any of those?
6: Sure. I can say a few things. Uh, one of the things that I, I don't want to uh, miss in uh, in uh, the litany of all the things that are going on in the department, many exciting things, is the uh, we're launching a new uh, study abroad program in Florence. So we called us, I think it's called a Visual Art in Florence, and that will... <laughs> Strangely enough. And that will uh, start in May. Uh, I think there are going to be uh, two faculty members recruiting at the uh, MSU Study Abroad Fair uh, on uh, September 20th. And uh, we look forward to that program in its inaugural year uh, taking place. Um, There's a lot of student clubs that happen uh, inside our department. Uh, There is a clay club that's open to anybody across the university to join uh, and and have access to our ceramics facility. They're the Art History Association. Uh, We're taking bus trips to Chicago in the spring, uh, starting to plan for that. Uh, and uh, make an annual tradition out of that. There is the AIGA MSU student group. The AIGA is a uh, 90-year strong professional association for design, and Kelly here is our our, our representative and our liaison with that professional group. Um, And uh, there's um, a lot of opportunities for students, too, to... uh, to join us, we're going to have on April 18th in Year of the Arts, we're going to have a uh, uh, a marathon session that's going to last, I believe it's 48 hours of nonstop art activities in conjunction with the theater department wow. and the School and of Music. Our
5: department will be featuring a drawing marathon, which will be... Uh About 24 hours of drawing Um, that will be kind of traditional drawing, drawing from the models, things like that, and then also maybe some more non traditional things. Um, We might be doing some kind of outdoor. Drawing on the sidewalk, sort of so ideas how, are being thrown around. How does
3: twenty-four hours worth of drawing work? Is it do you have a lot of people just
5: a lot of people come and just draw all day.
3: Different taking different shifts. Or?
5: Different, shifts, and then also just sort of the energy of that kind, that many people in a space, and you know it, it becomes a really active. We did it last year for the first time, um, and we actually had people draw the entire 24 hours. And what Um,
3: becomes of the pieces that they create?
5: Well, we showed them in the galleries last year. I think this year we're looking to do something similar to that, possibly maybe documenting the event in an interesting way as well could be uh, a direction we might take. Um, Some of what was done last year was... um, not maybe a person would do a single piece and then also they would do a group piece together that was more installation and we left those up for a while for people to view um, but that's definitely an event that's open to people other than just you know our own majors. So, and
3: when's that um, taking place?
5: Um, that's going to be April 18th. 20th, and okay. we'll also have some other things going on then with open studios and um, I think the museum's trying to be open a large portion of that night so there'll be a lot of activity in the building and that area in general.
3: Excellent. Wow, so much, co- so much coming up and, and going on right now too. I uh, just want to recap for, for folks that are listening, everything that's been going on, just the, the few that I've gleaned at least. Uh, September Twelfth, uh, the a uh, lecture by Massimo. I'm i hoping I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Massimo Vignelli. Yep. Excellent. All right. About uh, uh, and he's uh, t- I don't want to butcher his title, but uh, a graphic design master, I suppose. That's well put. Okay. Yes. And and uh, the following night, of course, uh, the screening of Helvetica, which is uh, about the legendary typeface of the same name. Uh, September sixteenth, uh, Twilight in the Garden as a uh, uh, Broad fundraiser uh, going on mm-hmm. for the up-and-coming uh, 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 museum of the uh, same name, as well as September 17th, uh, two events that I, I found going on. The Nick Cave Lecture who's a performance artist uh, who uses recycled materials to make costumes and, and various other pieces, as well as uh, the Gallery Walk, looking at the future of the Broad Art Museum. Uh, we got to wrap things up, but uh, I want to thank all three of you for for stopping by. Tell us about all the great stuff that's been... Uh, and the works on on campus and off as well. The uh, scene, Metro Space, we touched on that as well. So uh, Kelly, Michelle, and Tom, I want to thank you all for being here. And uh, thank thank anyone you. interested, absolutely. And anyone more interested in uh, getting some information, uh, the number 517-355-7610, uh, the website art.msu.edu. Uh, thanks again, everybody. And we'll be right back with the Lansing Civic Players right here on Impact Exposure.
5: You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact.
6: For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place.
5: A lot of gamers look at you as a gang member, too.
6: For some, just being in school can be a struggle.
7: I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me,
6: like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student, is a graduate.
4: People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say
6: I won't. Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council.
2: For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week.
1: Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight the Impact's progressive torch and twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music.
2: Oh! Impact, John.
0: You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432 3893. And now, back to Exposure.
3: <laughs> this is The Impact Exposure. We are sitting down, literally, with uh, Winifred and Sue hear from the uh, Lansing Civic Players. Right. I want to thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Oh, Winifred, your, your seat almost about took you out there. <laughs>
8: <laughs> she well, got shorter all of a sudden. I noticed that. Not yeah. <laughs> very comfortable. Can I change chairs? You can
3: swap chairs, yeah. Whatever makes you most comfortable. <laughs> we want to make you sound good on air here. Uh, well, they, you folks are both in here to talk about, uh, I'm assuming, the, uh, the Plaza Suite. Yes, uh, we are. Which is going on uh, really right now. One
9: more weekend. Excellent. We, we opened last Friday.
3: Now, how did the opening go?
9: Very well. People yeah. Laughed. Excellent. Well, I'm hoping
3: that's good. <laughs> well, it's a, it's Neil, a Neil Simon. Simon right? It's a Neil
9: Simon play, and there are a lot of good, funny lines in it. Absolutely. So it's a fun show to do.
3: Very cool. Now you've, you, the, the show is going on the September 7th through the 9th, uh, right. following or, <laughs> pre- previous weekend, excuse me, and uh, now uh, September 14th through the 16th, the that's final run. Right. Uh, now, tell us about the the play for those of us who aren't familiar with it. Well,
9: Winifred, do you want to start?
8: Well, Neil Simon's first production, I guess, was in the 50s, 1950s. And uh, Walter C. Scott was in the main role with Jean Stapleton, I believe. And then it was made into a movie, and then it was done again with Walter Matthau. hmm And. Uh, and it's it's
9: about uh, Suite 719 at the Plaza Hotel in New York City, and it's three different groups of people that come and stay in that suite, and what's going on.
3: I see. Now well, are. Are these stories connected in some way? Not at all. Not at all, really? Not at
9: all. There's a, the, the first, in the first act, which I play in, um, a wife finds out that her husband has been cheating with his secretary, ah. but I get some good zingers in there. <laughs> and the second act is a Hollywood producer who comes home and calls his old high school girlfriend and she comes up. Ah. And the third act is about a couple whose daughter on her wedding day has locked herself in the bathroom.
3: And won't come out. Ah, I see.
9: And they're trying to get her out.
3: (laughs) So this is sort of uh, three separate acts. Three separate acts. Mm -hmm.
8: I chose to do it that way because in the original, the two main actors progressed into every act. But when you're in community theater, the whole point is to give as many people an opportunity as possible. So by casting each act as if it were almost a one-act play, we were able to utilize six for main roles rather than just two. I see, and it's worked very, very well. Now, a nice uh, variety.
3: Have you had a history with uh, Neil Simon in the past? Yes. Now, uh, have you put on any other uh, plays of his? Oh,
8: we've done um, second time, second time it? around. Second time around was that his? And that was pretty much an autobiography sort of mm-hmm. thing, wasn't? And uh, I, boy, I'm on the spot. I can't
9: well, think you of direct, it. Winifred directed Plaza Suite in 37 years ago. Wow! <laughs> and so she's directing it again.
3: It's all coming back to you, I hope? What? It's all coming back to you, yes, I hope? Yes, it's all coming
8: back. <laughs> and it was uh, easy to do when you've got a set director that can follow directions and get you the kind of set you need. And we've got a good backstage cast, and, and that makes a big difference because they're very helpful with everybody else.
3: So you mentioned it's community theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what goes into getting a cast together for, for a production like this?
9: We have open auditions. Oh. Uh, so anybody who reads about our auditions in the paper or, or goes on the Civic Players website, and finds out uh, that we're doing a certain play, can come out and audition on the two nights that we usually have auditions. And the show is then cast from the people who come out.
3: Wow. And you, I mean, what's the turnout like for something like that?
9: It depends on the show. Uh, if you get something like uh, Annie, they did Annie a couple of years ago, you have 2,000 little girls coming of out. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and their mothers.
3: Oh. <laughs> um,
9: most of whom are quite nice. But uh, it depends on the show, and it depends on how well known the show is. Um, so you can have a lot of people, or sometimes you have to kind of scramble to cast things. But
8: I we try to cast. One of the, the problems things. Riverwalk had just done 1776 with a preponderance of men, and they had a lot of lines to learn. So, on the tail of that. Comes Plaza Suite, where you need some men, and they've already done their bit for 50 th- <laughs> years. So you're just hoping that somebody's willing to learn lines again and sure, come out.
3: Sure. Well, I'm sure you know breaking it up like Plaza Suite right. is. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that that helps with, mm-hmm. with something like it that. Help with
8: rehearsals too, because Susan didn't have to be there every night, oh, Monday through Friday, from seven to
3: nine. <laughs> well, three times yourself, yeah. maybe. <laughs> right. Well, now following uh, Plaza Suite, what what's up next after the that? The next
8: show is called The
9: Desperate Hours, and it's uh, it's. Not a brand new show, but it's about three convicts who take a family basically hostage, oh. and what the husband has to do to save his family.
3: I see. Now this is this, this sounds, is a
9: thriller. I was
3: going to say this sounds drastically different. <laughs> this is than definitely a
9: thriller. Oh, yes. What oh, we yes. try to do in all of the community theaters around here is is have a variety of different kinds of shows. So you'll have comedies, you'll have uh, dramas, you'll have musicals. Mm-hmm. So it's You try to do a lot of different things, and so the SNCC show for Civic Players is definitely a thriller.
3: Wow, sounds pretty good. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm curious about that. And that that
9: one one will open on October 19th. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm.
3: Wow, okay. So, yeah, just around the corner then. Yeah. Well, they're in in rehearsal, so... So that one's already been cast. Now, what about uh, folks who who are listening might want to get involved in your next production? What would they get involved in? Let's
8: see. I'm trying to think. Well, the next production, Social Security Scandals, and that's kind of an outside show Mm -hmm. that we're helping sponsor. Ah. So that one's been in progress for a long time. This group is an over-50 group performers that started in 1990, and we are sponsoring them technically, and they're becoming part of our Christmas package. But uh, starting in February again, we have three more shows for the season.
9: There's going to be, uh, the musical this year will be the final show. That's going to be Annie Get Your Gun. Oh, wow. Which is fun. Uh, Flowers for Algernon. Ooh, Mm -hmm.
3: that's one of my all-time favorites.
9: And Yeah, yeah, it's a lovely show. It really is. And I can't remember (laughs) the other one. I don't have my list with Boing Boing. Oh, yes, that's right. Althea is directing
8: that. Uh What's that one about?
9: Boing Boing is about a playboy who is dating three stewardesses at the same time and how he has to juggle
8: them. Isn't he a pilot and he has three stewardesses on the string? Yes. A Swedish one and a German one and and an American 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 girl. It's a classic story. It's a classic one. It's it's not, yeah, again, it's
9: definitely a fun, she has to have six doors. So people are going in and out of doors all the time.
3: (laughs) That one definitely sounds like a comedy. Though. Yeah, it is okay. definitely is. <laughs> so now I was reading on uh, on your website. There's uh, you also have a family theater program mm-hmm. that uh, just wrapped up. What's what's that all about?
9: Well, it's using children mm-hmm. mostly, uh, and they they're kind of sporadic. but They're not regular yet at this point. But uh, Bill Gordon and this time Christy Pierce, who is also the Civic Players office manager, directed, and they performed at a space at Meridian Mall. Oh wow! Uh, and because uh, we perform at Hanna Center, uh, which is on Abbott Road, mm-hmm. and so that's a little expensive for family theater. We try to keep those prices down, although civic players and most of the community theaters around here are very reasonably priced. You can get a good evening's entertainment for not much money. Um, but we, especially the family shows, It gives a lot of kids a lot of chance experience in the theater. Mm-hmm. They have the fun of doing a show, and they usually come up with some pretty good stuff.
3: Now, I remember I was actually the uh, the lead in my third grade play. Terrific! Was, yeah. So, but it, you know, always always kind of come in out my head. try
9: out for us. Oh sometime. yeah, <laughs> I
3: don't think I've got the chops anymore. That's, uh, <laughs>
9: oh, we'll help you.
3: <laughs> oh, it's, that's very kind of you. You're going to take a lot of help. But uh, the, the the kids you mentioned involved in the family theater mm-hmm. program. What what ages are we talking about here?
9: Oh I, my. Uh, All my, you know, eight, up.
3: Okay. Uh, Yes. So So, uh, for a lot of them,
8: it's their very first opportunity to even step on stage, and they get a lot of training and experience, Mm and very often you get a few that follow through, and I'm thinking of, um, was it Daryl Powell, Powell? yeah. He has mm-hmm. just become a tremendous... Dale Powell. Dale mm-hmm. Powell, a young actor who started out in the children's shows at Riverwalk and has moved and up he's, the ladder. Well, he's here on campus going to school now. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, we've got a girl from campus in our show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christina Rubritus is a student here at Michigan State. And uh, bless her heart, she was willing to take a part that had <clears throat> one line. <laughs> <laughs> She's the bride that's locked herself in the bathroom and ah. uh, comes out at the very end. But she was... Uh, Perfectly willing to do that. Rehearsal time was uh, not very long, as you can imagine, and we've enjoyed meeting well, her. Wasn't hard to learn that yeah, one. Yeah, no, was safe for a, nice. for a student. Uh,
3: it's kind of nice not to have that huge <laughs> yeah, obligation. Right. But, uh, very right. nice. Now, there's something else I was I was looking at. Uh, drama Fest. Uh, I, I read mm-hmm. about that. Now, what what is Drama Fest?
9: Drama Fest is some. Uh, they will have workshops. Oh, okay. Usually for students, they've had that for students before, and again, they've had it in the summertime. Uh, and so you'll sign up for audition, maybe an audition workshop or a musical theater workshop or, uh, so that's, you know, there are a variety of things and they change from drama fest to drama fest, but it's again, been very successful and very, uh, pretty well attended.
3: So is this one for, for students as well? Is mm-hmm. this yep. broader community
6: or? Uh,
8: anybody, well, usually it's kids that come okay. out for drama fest. And what but sort We of- do have a statewide organization, Community Theater Association of Michigan, and CTAM has conventions every year, and they do a series of workshops on everything from selling tickets and marketing to how to direct a melodrama and a mystery and all sorts of things. Wow. So people who want to get their feet wet and are a little much of a novice have an opportunity to try first, get a nice weekend at Boyne Highlands, and that's a great place <laughs> to have a workshop.
3: So not, not just uh, not just acting workshops. This mm-hmm. is this no, is everything. No,
8: it's, and, it's yeah, and I think theater drama, management. Yeah,
9: and I believe mm-hmm. DramaFest has some other backstage kinds of workshops, yes. maybe directing or.
3: Well, yeah, you can definitely get the full experience. That you can very cool. That's
9: what we that's a, you know all of us express in Lansing is that way with children.
3: Mm-hmm.
9: Uh, every kid goes; they can be in a show. But they also have to work backstage, so then you get an appreciation ah, of what goes, behind, goes on behind be star, the scenes. You can't be a star. You
3: have to get that's involved. That's right. So very nice. But, and, and
9: that's an a nice, yeah. thing. And that's the nice thing about community theater is um, we have our divas from time to time. <laughs> we do. But, but most everybody pitches in. You know, we'll be striking our set sunday after the show and everybody will get their costumes off and they'll pitch in and haul stuff
8: but this is all amateur nobody's paid Mm -hmm. none of them backstage or anybody so you know they're there because they really want
3: to be there and for the love of the arts that's Mm -hmm. true that's true very cool now speaking uh, speaking of folks who are involved how can people get involved folks who are listening right now
9: well they can go on the website uh, LansingCivicPlayers.org dot org, and find out what's going on. We're always looking for backstage people, uh, and they can. We have a costume shop, uh, and that's open for
8: Halloween rentals this year. Oh, we do a big business with Michigan State students when it comes Halloween well, time. That was going to
3: be my next question. Uh-huh. To you, as a matter of fact, oh, tell, yes. tell me about this costume shop.
8: Well, it's
9: huge. It's <laughs> also jam packed, but we have a very fine costumer, Patty Campbell who runs the shop and we do do rentals so that's kind of cool and I can give you a phone number if you want
3: Certainly yeah
9: Costume shop number is 4849199 9199 Yes all right. and that will you can go online too and find out what the hours are uh, she runs different hours during the Halloween sure. season. But it's
3: not too late to get a good costume. Oh huh?
9: no. No. Yeah, I saw some of the costumes. ones on that
3: website. Uh, they definitely this mm-hmm. is definitely not just some kind of thrown together. No, we uh, have some know. wonderfully well, talented 90s, yeah.
9: costumers in town. And so every time a show is done at Riverwalk or Civic Players, we have a cooperative effort uh, those costumes from a show that get built specially for a show will go to Uh, the Civic Players costume shop. We've had things like the lizards from Seascape, which Mm -hmm. are fantastic Mm -hmm. and just wonderfully uh, period costumes.
8: All the costumes from the children's shows, which are very
3: imaginative, are there. Yeah, certainly beats the thrift store uh, costumes I'm used to putting together for myself. Well, yeah. Well, we are just about out of time. I want to thank you both for being here. This has been great. We've Uh, enjoyed it. So I'm glad to have you. Uh, Winifred and Sue here from the Lansing Civic Players, putting on right now Plaza Suite, a a great Neil Simon production. Uh, For information about that, uh, the number is 517-484-9115. I believe that's the box office number. That's the box
9: uh, office number. Oh,
3: just the office number. Yeah, the box
9: office number number is 484-9191
3: excellent and of course 484-9199 the costume, costume shop, shop. Mm-hmm. still uh, still some great costumes available Terrific for Halloween costumes. and oh, yes. more information on all of this of course can be found at lansingcivicplayers.org thanks again Winifred, Sue Our thank pleasure. you we are going to take a short break and we'll be back with some folks coming in from the Lansing Symphony Orchestra in just a few moments
5: you're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact
2: For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Prime Time, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week.
4: Saturday nights from 8 p.m. until 2 a.m., tune into the cultural vibe to hear the best in both local and national hip hop, plus live mixing on the ones and twos. Only
0: on time. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432 3 and now, back to Exposure.
3: This is the Impact Exposure. We are almost out of time here. we got about uh, 10 minutes remaining, just enough time to speak with uh, David Gross here from the uh, Lansing Symphony Orchestra. I want to thank you for joining us.
0: Well, thank you. It's great to be here.
3: Now, I've been seeing a lot about the Lansing uh, Symphony Orchestra and uh, City Pulse around uh, various other publications around the area. What's What's been going on?
0: Well, we've had a very good opening week. Uh, last Wednesday was Lansing Symphony Day, uh, declared by uh, Mayor Bernaro. Um, uh, received a proclamation uh, Wednesday morning, and then uh, we had various uh, ensembles playing around the city. uh, And as you mentioned, we had a nice article in uh, City Pulse, and then we had our opening concert this past Saturday evening uh, over at the Wharton Center.
3: Excellent. So now, uh, this is the uh I'm trying to remember the uh the, the powerful portraits show is that uh feel the power. Feel the power, excuse me. Yes. So now uh, that's is that the one that's receiving so much attention lately?
0: Yes. Um well, it's just uh our uh slogan for the year. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, it just represents uh, the power of uh, live classical music and our music director Timothy Muffet uh, has done some great programming this year and so it's uh, been very successful so far.
3: Excellent. Now he's the gentleman that I've been seeing on, uh, like I said, the city pole. So the the gray hair flying, very, exactly. uh, very yes. traditional conductor look. Yes. I, I must say, yes. is is he something of a of a mascot for the, uh, uh, well, for the group as well?
0: Um, uh, Timothy Muffet uh, is really the um, any. Music director is kind of the face on the organization in the community. Uh, and uh, he uh, is a very dynamic uh, leader for the organization, both for the musicians and, as I said, a spokesperson uh, for the organization. Uh, I have enjoyed working with him very much. He's uh, uh, very creative programming uh, and uh, just really great to work with.
3: So. Now, what what sort of um, productions has the orchestra been putting on? What sort of composers would people be uh, witnessing
0: Well, um, uh, this past Saturday, uh, we did the Mussorgsky's Pictures and Exhibition, and we're going to be repeating the piece this coming Sunday, um, but we're, we're going to be incorporating with that um, a puppet show, and it's going to be for, uh, on our family concert uh, geared towards just what it says, uh, families coming down, uh, you know, young kids uh, with their parents uh, we'll also have something called an instrument petting zoo going on before the concert out in the lobby. Um, uh, kids can try out uh, trumpets, cellos, clarinet, all of that. And uh, it's kind of fun to see a uh, you know, 10-year-old for the first time get a sound out of a trumpet. Sure. All of it. <laughs> uh, but the, the puppet show is kind of an interpretation of uh, what the music stood for. And uh, so the orchestra will be performing live along as the uh, uh, puppet show goes on.
3: So I have to assume this is not just your average puppet show. I mean, exactly. It's it's, it's got yeah. a name, "Das Puppenspiel," yes, which, uh, which German is German <laughs> yeah.
0: for the puppets. <laughs> right. And uh, so. Uh, we are uh, we're real excited about it because uh, it's just kind of uh, the uh, one of the many attempts that the uh, Lansing Symphony is now doing to reach out in the community in a lot of different ways, and I think it's important to uh, uh, for growth and for serving the community.
3: That's going on this uh, this Sunday, is that right? This correct? Sunday at the Warden, yes, and 3:00. Uh, three o'clock, p- three three p.m. Excellent. Yeah. Now uh, I mentioned a moment ago the the powerful portraits show. Uh, that's, uh, that just wrapped up uh, recently? Correct. Is that correct? Yeah, now, what, that was, what, what's that all about?
0: Well, that was um, each one of our uh, Masterworks concerts has a title onto itself. And the first one was Powerful Portraits, and it included uh, Samuel Barber's overture, school, uh, overture to the School for Scandal. Um, we had a visiting artist, a cellist by the name of Amit Pellad, uh, and he did the Lalo Cello Concerto. And as I said, the Masorsky's picture as an exhibition.
3: Excellent. So. So now, uh, that that's just wrapping up. Yeah, uh, that
0: was last Saturday evening, I see. just one night. And our next Masterworks is uh, on October 27th, and that is Carl uh, Orff's Carmina Burana, which is um, kind of a cast of thousands. Uh, the uh, MSU Choral Union and Children's Chorus will be singing with the orchestra. We have um, solos out in front, and it's a powerful work that many people uh, have heard uh, the NFL has used it. Um, uh, you know, very dramatic films have used music from this. It's uh, something that everyone will recognize.
3: I do recognize the composer name, yes. but uh, placing the, the music, I'm, I'm not sure, but I'm sure folks that show up will definitely recognize it right the As soon that. as you hear it, you <laughs> will, yes. Uh, Um, More recent, though, uh, end of this month, the uh, LSO Chamber Series 1 begins. I have that down for uh, um, September 30th. Is
0: that correct? Yes. Uh, That goes on over at uh, Plymouth Congregational Church. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the very first one is uh, with a trio of our principal flute player, Richard Sherman, uh, one of our cellists, uh, Desi Nanova, and uh, George uh, Vachanzi as uh, pianist.
3: Excellent. And then following that, I also saw that there's a, a big band yes. a performance. Now, this seems a little different for me from the, the traditional uh, thought of the, the symphony orchestra. What, what's uh, what's the big band all about? Um,
0: the uh, Lansing Symphony Big Band uh, has performed for several years now, and they always do uh, two concerts and then various other performances around town. And uh, they perform over at Dardo auditorium on the lcc campus um and the big band uh, brings back the traditions of the 40s 50s big band style um and they do it really well Hmm. um and then we also have a fundraiser the uh let's say in april it's called the big band ball which they're the feature of and back to ballroom type dancing and it's kind of a fun formal evening so so. Um, but uh yeah it's just another Feature that the Lansing Symphony has and certainly kind yeah, of speaks to thing. the
3: diversity that uh, exactly. that orchestra has. Now, the folks that are in the big band are they also part of the, the traditional orchestra or are these separate?
0: Some of the people overlap. Some of them are uh, different musicians.
3: I'm so. sure you got a lot more horns in the, in the big band yes. than, than your traditional orchestra right. as well. Right. Uh, now, now I mentioned a moment ago that sort of traditional thought of the of the orchestra. A lot of I'm sure folks have this this image of a stuffy orchestra and everything. But uh, how do you how do you kind of combat that image?
0: Well, we're uh, looking for um, always new types of programs to feature. And actually, uh, this year, uh, we have a percussion soloist uh, in March, the end of March. Uh, Lisa Pager is going to be playing the uh, Schwantner Percussion Concerto. Uh, People don't always think of multiple percussion as something out in front of the orchestra. Um, Another thing uh, we've been taking a look at is doing more programs that um, kind of embrace uh, the changing culture, more of a multimedia thing, something that we're looking at right right now is something called Video Games Live. And uh, what it is, it's a multimedia program that um, the orchestra is on stage performing the music from uh, all of the most famous video games, and above it on a screen they 're playing some of the you know the video part of the game uh, and then it has some of the characters from Tron and all of those you know some of the traditional and more cutting edge uh, video games um, and so it 's a very three three d type experience a sure. lot of fun and so th- these are the types of things that orchestras are looking at now to um
3: you know, branch out a little more. Sure, bring in a, maybe an audience that wouldn't normally exactly. attend the, the orchestra. Yeah. Well, uh, we are just about out of time, but I want to thank you for, for stopping by and uh, tell us about all the great things that the orchestra has coming up. Well, thank you. Certainly. Uh, so just to recap, uh, this Sunday, September 16th, 3 p.m., uh, the uh, Lansing Symphony Orchestra Family Concert, yes. putting on uh, Das Puppenspiel. I, I can't say that enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it uh, certainly does sound like a, a great event for the, for the whole family. Uh, more information on that or, and all the other events that we've talked about can be found uh, by calling 5, 517-487-5001 or visiting lansingsymphony.org. David, thanks again. And, Thank uh, you. And all of, of course, this podcast, uh, or this this show, rather, can be found on podcast on uh, impact89fm.org. This has been The Impact Exposure. My name is Wes. Thanks again for listening and we will be back next week at the same time. Thanks again. Good night.
2: Thanks for listening to this evening's Exposure only on 88.9 The Impact